I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1989, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1989 from a croquet court here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. And today we have with us Lola Kelly to talk about one of the seminal uh, films of this year, maybe one of the seminal films of all time, Yeah, uh, Heather's. Indeed. Lola, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so I, I, when I reached out to you to come on the 89 podcast, this was like, this was your number one with like, you were just like, and Harry McFally, which is sort of on the yes. other end of the spectrum. Completely different. <laughs> yeah. You see, basically were like Heather's or what Harry but Sally. And I was like, all right, Heather's. So, I mean, I've got to, I, I have to ask, you know, did you see this around 89? Was this sort of a big teenage movie for like was this a adolescent movie for you yeah i was or? a baby when although yeah, yeah, my mom yeah. had me watching satiricon when i was seven so but, but <laughs> she was not into like volumes. pop films so <laughs> yeah i didn't see it until much later right, right, right i did see it and it's funny because i kind of had a boyfriend who was like jd um <laughs> and i think it was sort of part of his, his indoctrination material but he didn't understand oh <laughs> <laughs> what that, that was, was saying about message. him <laughs> <laughs> yeah so That's, i think i yeah. saw it around 99 actually right right, right. Yeah. okay yeah, yeah. i mean it's i a totally different podcast <laughs> <laughs> I, i'll i'll say that this film 
for me anyway, um, I this is a and, and I've said this I think on on, on other episodes too. Um, I started working at a video store when I was about sixteen years old, and there were a bunch of late teens, early twenties people that worked there. Um, that I thought were like the coolest people in the world, obviously, because, you know, they were older. Um, and this was one of sort of their staples of a movie that was put on in the, th- in the store all the time, even though probably inappropriately, but it was. And it was one of those movies that felt really cool, but I don't think I totally got it at the time. And then subsequently, you know, later in my teens um, and early 20s, I really latched onto it and really felt like I started to understand what the movie was saying and that it wasn't just a whole bunch of fuck me gently with a chainsaw lines, like that there was a bunch going on in this film. And and then recently I was on uh, Screen Drafts for a Winona Ryder podcast and watched it again and was really just like utterly blown away by the fact that it exists. Like it continues to amaze me that this movie exists. Um and then obviously watch it the other day again. And I just, I don't know. It floors me. I think that it's a complicated movie. I think it's dealing with a lot of hot button issues. I think that it's got a lot of subtextual stuff going on in it that I think is really fascinating. But um, yeah, I'm just, it's, it's I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we get to talk about this film and, and The War of the Roses, which to me are sort of two of the most pitch black, dark comedies to ever come out, quite honestly. Um, but these characters yeah. feel like they exist in the same universe too. That's very, a very really yes. interesting double feature. Yeah. But I know that Kenny, you know, you watched it again relatively recently. I don't know how long it had been since you watched it. So how did it? How did it hit you? I've only seen this movie twice, all the way through. Oh wow! So this okay. was the second time I had seen it all the way through, and the first time was as an adult. Um, so I never watched this as a kid. I, uh, I, I. I Remember where I watched it. So th- it was probably 15 years ago sure. when I watched it the first time, just kind of, you know, picking up you, you picking up the pieces of lost movies you missed. <laughs> sure, um, sure. And so I don't have the same nostalgia for it that I think right. a lot of other people have. Um, and I see I I see the 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 I mean the word I was going to use is brilliance, but that's not really what I want to say. Like I I see what's going on, and I really appreciate it, and I really enjoy it. And but I fear, and I said this to to Phil, yeah, that this movie has a, fallen a bit into like the Fight Club hole, which is where there are a lot of people who like it for the wrong reasons, and um, I think you know. The fuck me gently with the chainsaw stuff um, speaks to that. This movie is not doesn't it it happens to have really brilliant, funny lines like that. Yeah. But that's not really where that's the the Fight Club equivalent of of people punching each other in the face. You know, that's that's flesh and 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 where, you know, like, like like that's 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 flesh. But I think that it's. Actually, text, not subtext. Um, but people don't really seem to appreciate it. I think the title of the of the song, Teenage Suicide Don't Do It, is telling you what this movie is. <laughs> um, it's Teenage Suicide in big flashing letters don't and in parentheses, don't do it. Which to me is like, 
look past, you know, look past the, 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 the big giant, you know, explosions and murders and all this stuff and look a little bit under the surface to what we're trying to tell you to do with this movie. Cause I fear that people look at this movie and say, man, these bullies really deserve to get killed. You know, I really feel like people, like people are like, it's a great movie about how, uh, you should kill bullies. So, <laughs> I mean, I, think, I, th- yeah. I don't think that's what the movie's about at all. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's, it's funny you say that because, uh, I, obviously I did a little bit of research on it and, and Daniel Waters has talked a lot about this movie, this being, you know, pr- pretty much, you know, this will be the, the first line of his obituary. Um, for obvious reasons, it's a great, it's a great movie, but also uh, it became sort of a staple of his voice, I guess, to some degree or another. But, um, but I agree with you, Kenny, that I think that a lot of, a lot of people who didn't fit in, in high school, look at this film and feel like it's the, yeah, fuck the jocks. Right. 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 But, But I don't really think that that's what the movie is really a commentary on. Like, Yes, that's part of it to some degree or another. It's taking the piss out of the John Hughes movies. And we talked about John Hughes yesterday, actually, Kenny. So I'm curious. We can talk about that, too, here, just in terms of this feels like a reaction to John Hughes in in a lot of ways. So I think that there's, you know, the kid that reads Stephen King is like, fuck John Hughes. I'm into Heathers. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's 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 got that kind of, does that make sense? Like, that there's people, fringe people that feel like this movie's quote well, unquote I, for them. Lola, what do you think about all this? I'm surprised to hear that you know a lot of people who view Heathers that way, because especially outsiders, because I do feel like a lot of the outsiders I knew who loved it mm-hmm. got the crux of it and um the sort of You philosophy. knew smarter people than I did, clearly. <laughs> um well. I don't I don't know about that. Um <laughs> But it is so meta that that's a thing because obviously Waters talks about that and it's, they talk about it in the movie. Like, you know, Veronica talks about how the, all of these suicides are making it look glamorous and how Mm -hmm. all of the culture is wrong and it's doing exactly the opposite of what it's like setting out to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So it tracks that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the movie would also do that for a lot of people. And it certainly did for my ex who did see it as this sort of like nihilistic love right. story. So I've met a few people who view it that way. And then I, I would say, say I, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I do agree with you, Lola. I, 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 I don't think it's generally thoughtful people. And I wouldn't, you know, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, conflating thoughtful people and outsiders, but I think you guys know what I'm saying. I don't think it's generally thoughtful people who misread movies like this. Mm-hmm. I think it's people, I, I actually think it's people who might identify with Heather, with the Heathers. Or who, the JDs. Or the JDs. Like, I saw a lot of or, the sort of current day incel, sort of that, like, culture, I feel mm-hmm. like is a parallel to JD a hundred, a hundred percent. And it does like, that's, so that's where, and then I want, I mean, I feel like we, this is why this podcast exists. I'm not talking about our broader podcast, but this episode for me, at least, because I, I, I struggle with the message of this movie. Sure. Right. I struggle with like, 
Now, a movie doesn't have to be one thing. A movie doesn't have to say these guys are the good guys, these guys are the bad guys, and these guys are right and these guys are wrong, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying that's what's happening or that's what I'm I'm searching for. Sure. But it does feel like in the end of the day, JD was the greatest evil in this movie. Was the greatest what? Evil Evil. in this movie. JD was the one that we had to put down. He definitely was. He was a murderer. Um, But but that climax and that conclusion feels a little bit like it like in the end of the day they're kind of reaffirming institutions like the institution need to it's the institution that needs to get better and all right go ahead yeah i i agree and disagree with you i well it's a it's interesting to hear that perspective because i guess the movie did not set out to do what I think it did. And it it was interesting to hear in an interview that what he wanted for the ending was for the entire school to get blown up and everybody dies. And I think that's that's a far more powerful ending. And I think that nails the landing. And I think that the film sets out to say that like everyone has evil within them and that like, just like Veronica discovers that it's sort of like a whack-a-mole with the Heathers. Like you kill one and then another one pops up. And it's, it's, I think it's a criticism of power and how that manifests differently in different people. I could go on for probably this entire podcast about its allegory about like whiteness and a critique of whiteness in the Reagan era. But I think um, you, I think you should go on a little (laughs) bit about it. I mean, if you have thoughts about that, I think this is because I do think that, that, I think there are so many layers that we can, you know, peel back and find out what's going on. Like I, I am not, I, you know, me, you've, we've done a bunch of podcasts together. I'm never going to sit here and just quote, quote lines and say that was funny. Like that's just not that thrilling to me. What's thrilling to me is like, this is a movie where like you have a teenage murderer righteously killing these people. Uh, what is going on here? And, and, and it's a, and it's a classic of the genre. It's a classic film. It's a film that I love, by the way. I'm not trying to say I don't love it. Like I am, I am enthralled when I watch this movie, but I'm also trying to understand exactly what's going inside of, what's going on inside of me when I watch this movie and where this kind of, you know, emotional resonance comes from. So. Yeah, Any, I mean, anything I, you have, go for I, it. I, b- before you get into that, Lila, I just wanted to talk about the, like, the JD her thing. In. <laughs> Watch out! <laughs> for, just want to say that because the JD thing, I this last time I watched Heather's the other day, um, he really irked me this time around in a way that he didn't before. Um, I, I found him to be a pretty loathsome character, quite frankly, this time around in a way that I hadn't in previous watchings of it um but the ending that you mentioned uh just you know for for our listeners in terms of what the original ending was i'll just read real quick that essentially the original screenplay ended with veronica killing jd by shooting him strapping the bomb to herself blowing up the school they go to heaven and in the prom heaven sequence all the students are uh, dancing in their social cliques and then switching partners. So metalheads start dancing with Heather's murder jocks are dancing with it's a whole thing. And then Mark, the dump truck uh, gets on stage and sings as the entertainment of the evening. And it was basically all meant to, it, it, it feels like the right ending to the film. Yeah. The reason I bring this up is because the film ends with JD in essentially a Christ pose with his arms outstretched as though he's dying for their sins and makes, it makes him a martyr which I think is the wrong message. 
Yeah. Um, and Veronica. Yeah. And there's this like John Hughes movie sort yes. of happy ending. Yes. It yes. feels so tacked on. I agree. Um, and I really like that ending. When I read about that, I was just like, oh, my yeah. God, this could have been a perfect film. Um, yeah. It's there's also another alternate version of it where Martha Dump Truck stabs Veronica, shouts, fuck you, Heather. And Veronica lies on the ground with a knife in her stomach, says, my name's not Heather. My name's not Heather. Which is the character. <laughs> I love. That's I good too. I like that. <laughs> on a on like a philosophical level, I just love, yeah. and also just on the. I think there, it, you, it also is funny in a way. Like the the image of this like prom yes, feels yes. tonally yes, very I much agree. a part of that the film yeah. as it is. Yeah. I my favorite ending is the fuck you Heather, fuck you Heather. I I, I do feel like there <laughs> is very uh, there's there there does seem like a seed planted there with yeah. Veronica being the only Heather whose name isn't Heather uh, <laughs> that was never quite paid off yes. as a joke, but also thematically, you know, like, like the fact that, I, and, and this, I guess is kind of like one of my gut level issues with this movie is for, from the moment this movie starts, Veronica is not bought into the Heather group, Right. Like you can sense from the beginning, from the original, you know, from the croquet scene, which by the way takes place at her house. She's more of the croquet court. Um, she's <laughs> not bought into this Heather life, yeah. but it, you can't deny that she's made that choice. I mean, I think the fact that it happens at her house does tell us that she's bought in, and I think that that's very much on purpose. And sh- she hates it, but she's bought in, and I think that that is such a real thing for especially girls in high school. Sure. Um, that like you can just absolutely know you hate your friends and know that you're miserable and know that you hate your boyfriend and know how awful everything is, but you still are in and feel like you yeah. can get out. But I, I don't really feel like, I mean, I, I, it's clear she's part of this group, but the first time they're in school, Veronica has no qualms about being nice to Betty. Yeah. You know, like she, like being nice to this less cool girl in front of Heather would be the kind of thing that would have gotten Katie smacked down by Regina in Mean Girls, Girls. which Katie would never do, right? They all fell in line behind the queen bee until Katie recognized how toxic this situation is. I, I, I think it's all intentional and I would posit, and this gets back to, I think what you were, you know, alluding to with the idea of whiteness and privilege and power the fact that it's at Veronica's house and Veronica is the rich girl gives her the power to feel like she can she can step out when necessary among the um among the among the heathers so to speak you know and i think that, that to me that's an interesting positioning of this character as the richest character we see in this world. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, I fully agree with both of you. And I, and I think that one of the great things about this film is that I actually don't, I, I think it's, I don't think it's binary. I think that Veronica's character is grappling with something. She is at a crossroads in this film and she feels like she's being pulled in two directions in a lot of ways. The diary sequences in particular, you really feel her with the fucking monocle. Can we talk about the monocle? Oh, the monocle. (laughs) The monocle's the fucking greatest thing ever. Um, But like... (laughs) 
I love it so much, but it's such a weird thing. I'm cute, but I'm also Mr. Peanut. But oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> As she scrolls in just giant cursive in her notebook. Um, but but I feel like those are the the sort of the most overt you know, obviously VO were in her head, but like you're really feeling her fighting this desire to want to be popular, this desire to want to be in this clique. Um, you see it obviously in that uh, that first uh, cafeteria sequence, which is phenomenal, where you're really sort of seeing, you know, she hates the, the lunchtime poll. She hates having to do this. She hates all of sort of the the accoutrement that go along with being a Heather, but she also loves the power. Like there's mm-hmm. just, I don't know. I, I think that that's, and it feels like that speaks to what you're talking about Lola as, as a teenage girl, that sort of duality to some degree or another. Yeah. And I think they do. He, it's also just shortcut screen uh, writing, you know, like I yes, think he, yes. it, it, he talked about how she's a surrogate for the audience. And I think he had mm-hmm. to do that in the first 10 minutes. And, mm-hmm. um, it was probably just, hey, we're going to make her likable and have the Heathers say these completely awful thing about like all of Africa. Like, why haven't you died already <laughs> like, about the entire continent of Africa? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, <laughs> so you're in the first 10 yeah. minutes, you hate the Heathers. And, and yes. there's a certain comfort that comes with their death, which is mm-hmm. in and of itself probably macabre. But uh, I think he's probably setting up to make us feel that tension that we all feel that even For adults sure. can feel of mm-hmm. being stuck. I, 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 I want to just go a little deeper on this idea of, okay, she's the audience surrogate. She's our way in. She is the most privileged person in this environment. She is, first of all, all the, you know, obvious trappings of privilege in terms of money and wealth. She is also small and cute. Um, so she goes that. She's Winona Ryder. I mean, she's that. Um, she is smart. She's the smartest person in the school. She was almost, you know, skipped ahead several grades, but like she didn't want, they didn't want to skip her ahead. Uh, she has a superpower, which is she, I mean, it's a, it's the best big buy you can possibly have, but the ability to, to copy anyone's handwriting, it's a bit of a superpower. It is. Yeah. Um, and by so, the way, her handwriting is sh- crap. crap. Her, it's her actual handwriting is horrible. It's, like, it's, it's insane. Which, which is interesting to me. But so I, I – let's, of course, assume intentionality. Why this set of traits for the audience surrogate who is – I I, I – I, I don't think she is like your typical audience member. I think she's a very aspirational character. Yeah, I think that's one of the sort of glitches of the movie that I did not recognize as someone who identified with her or like in earlier viewings of it. When I saw it in high school, I felt very much for Veronica and that worked on me. Um, but I had a Veronica state of mind and I didn't understand how that surrogate does not function for everyone and maybe creates this problem you're talking about, but well, um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that, that you, that younger, the the younger version of you was incorrect or, or, or or anything like that. Like, Like her, her state of mind, 
that we that we read about that we hear about through VO uh, is I think a very is is very much in line with your typical audience member. Yeah, and so, I think part of that is her complicate is like how complex she is and how she's mm-hmm. sort of not in the group but is going along with it, and uh, you know is as steeped in capitalism and American culture as any audience member would be and knows deep down that she hates it, but is just in it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's a, a, a slight universality there, it's interesting. but uh, sorry, what was that? I just said it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I do think like my whole thing about it being a critique of whiteness, I do think it's like a critique of whiteness for white people. Um, and so it is, it does have that myopia to a certain extent, although it is interesting in that, like there was, I went through a period of just going over eighties movies that I had loved. And I did a deep dive on a lot of them a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago, a few years ago. And I just started cringing so quickly over race and just like how much stuff did not hold up. And it was just like, oh, these movies I loved, like, oh, this is awful, you know. But this one wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And it was interesting to see that and how it's certainly not perfect, but it is absolutely I think a I think it was on purpose that all of we don't see many people of color, but they're it's true. The, the one the only like nice person who's <laughs> just like nice is the guy who works at like the paper. The story. Yeah. yeah, yeah who's the yearbook. Like, one of yeah, the few yeah. people of color who had I think maybe the only person of color in the whole movie that has a line. And he's the loveliest character yeah. in the entire film. It's true. Um so there's certainly a lack of representation, but I feel mm-hmm. like uh, and and having a surrogate who is not doesn't cover that representation certainly creates issues. But I did find all of that kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, I, well, Kenny and I have talked about this um, on and offline in terms of the differences between representation in 99 and 89 and how much better 89 did in terms of representation to a certain degree than Mm -hmm. 99 did um and i'm sure there's a whole bunch of you know mitigating factors to that but it's pretty fascinating to look at when when you when you think about um you know just just lean on me do the right thing i mean driving miss daisy is obviously problematic but you know ultimately i think it's just it's an interesting sort of period and then to look at how 99 deals with it. I don't know. <clears throat> Kenny, well, there's also better to it, it than I can. There's all it, this now. I think we're, we're treading into some choppy water. So, you know, take everything mm-hmm. with a grain of salt and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that I think it would be a mistake mm-hmm. to force a to force a person of color into the role of Veronica in this particular movie. Sure. Yeah. Because for a bunch of reasons, but the, the, the primary reason being uh, nothing in Daniel Waters, career has made me think that he could understand what that would yeah. be like. So I sure. think that, I think that the, the, 
character and the world that he built out reflects a world that he understands that he wants to criticize and critique and any critiques of whiteness comes within the context of um look at our bubble look what goes on in our bubble with uh and the way and the the problems we have compared to you know the problems you'll see in other movies or other situations or other parts of society what happened in 99 in the 90s and the 2000s that we're just kind of getting out of it happens in 89 a little bit but not really the same way is white people i think and i am as guilty as anyone else of this decided we're allowed to tell whatever stories we want to tell um and it doesn't matter if you're a white kid who grew up in the suburbs with few or no friends of color because you're a writer because you're a creative person you can step into anyone's sphere and tell their stories so we've seen a lot of stories a lot of movies with people of color who were represented by just stereotypical character traits and had no stories no agency and and nothing whereas in 89 uh it doesn't feel like for whatever reason people waded into these waters half acidly to so to speak and there is to me a lot of damage done by putting people of color or other marginalized people in situations and not treating them as fully formed characters so i'm very uncomfortable like with tokenism for instance i think that i think tokenism like sets everything back and the lack of that in a movie like this uh well i feel like there's certain you think, tokenism in this movie. You think well, one black w- guy who's nice. you think your man, yeah, you think your man is a token, but I, but I would argue, I would argue that he's just a character, right? Like I don't think that he's. And I would say this because he is not in any way. And this again, this feels a little dangerous. What I'm about to say, but he doesn't feel like stereotypical, right? He doesn't feel like he's a stereotypical character. He feels like he is just a character, a a, a role that was cast. Sure. Um, and I do think that, that that's the, 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 the danger is sure the, you know, quote unquote, when we had, um, when we had Aaron Thomas on mm-hmm. and Aaron Thomas made the point, uh, that white people writing black characters. And I think he meant this very loosely was, uh, not all that different from blackface. I think that's kind of what he was getting at, the opposite of that. The the idea of I'm going to write black. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm going to write the way I think black people talk. And that's, the I think, where the danger lies. That was the best I could do in terms of why I think 89 <laughs> might be better than 99 in terms of in, – in in this respect. I Yeah, I mean I, I think that – yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to do any better than that. So I'm going to give a synopsis very quickly of Heather's um, – Veronica, played by Winona Ryder, is part of the popular clique at her high school, but she disapproves of the other girl's cruel behavior. When Veronica and her new boyfriend, JD, played by Christian Slater, confront clique lead, clique, sorry, clique, whatever, guys, uh, <laughs> leader. Is that Canadian version? It is. Um, <laughs> and I gave, him a, I gave him a lot of shit on the Jawbreaker episode, which, you know, is this movie Heather's, washed yeah. over. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. It is a French I, term, so. It it is, and it's also written uh, that way too. But it's, anyway, it's, it's, um, it's actually Cliquet. 
That's how you spell. That's Pique. how you're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, leader Heather Chandler accident and accidentally, quote unquote, accidentally uh, poison her. Uh, they make it look like a suicide. Soon, Veronica realizes that JD is intentionally killing students. He doesn't like. She races to stop JD while also clashing with the clique's new leader, Heather Duke, played by Shannon Doherty, written by Daniel Waters, directed by Michael Lehman. Heather's opened on March 31st, 1999 in limited release against Rain Man, Fletch Lives, The Rescuers, and Lean on Me. It would go on to make $1.1 million on a $3 million budget. It's got 93% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 83% from audiences. Wait, what were those movies, Phil? Uh, Rain Man, Fletch Lives, The Rescuers, and Lean on Me. Oh, The Rescuers. All right. Cool. Yeah, The Rescuers is in 89, right? It was probably uh, I believe it was a, a late a late eighty eight movie yeah, okay. that, uh, that was probably bad. still uh, hanging on. Uh, I'll read a quick clip of Roger Ebert's two and a half star review. He said, "I approach Heather's as a traveler in an unknown country, one who does not speak the language or know the customs, and can judge the natives only by talking, only by taking them at their word." The movie is a morbid comedy about peer pressure in high school, about teen suicide, and about the de- deadliness of cliques, and not only. That not only exclude, but also maim and kill. For a long time, we're not even sure the point of view. Is this a black comedy about murder or a cynical morality play? The traveler in the foreign country is not sure, but he knows the film inspires thought and has the ability to shock. Two qualities that make it worth considering. Maybe it's true that teenagers will understand it best. Maybe it's even true that they deserve to. Um, it's a strange review from him. He's kind of cagey about it, and he kind of approaches it. And Eber does this from time to time where it's like, I don't really get it. This wasn't meant for me. This feels like it was written in another language, but I kind of respect it nonetheless. I don't know if you agree, Kenny, but he does kind of do these reviews from time to time. And this feels like a bit of a punt um, Mm -hmm. where he's, where he's just sort of like, I get that people might find this interesting. I don't really get it. Teenagers shrug. (laughs) It's sort of, that's kind of the, the review from him. Um, It's interesting that that, though, like, because sure, sure. I feel like the one the reviews that I hate the most is where the review could have just been two sentences that the critic was just like, this wasn't for me. But instead, they like go on and on and on about why it's bad. Um, Right. So I don't know. As much as he does sound like a bit pretentious in it. I respect that he ultimately did come to the conclusion of like, oh, this is not made not for, for me. me yeah i mean I, I and again i i don't i agree with you that i respect that ebert knows when he's out of his depth from time to time and that this is just a thing that he might not be able to you know do uh do service to to some degree or another i think it's interesting the film has 93 percent from critics on rotten tomatoes which means that most critics at the very least were either able to to roll with it or locked into it in a way that he didn't, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, I watching it again yesterday, it, it really, the movie immediately sets its tone. Right out of the gate, you know that you're in a very sort of theatrical, bordering on surreal universe. Oh, it's very campy. Que yes. sera, sera yes. as yes. that first song played over beautiful women, beautiful girls, I guess, playing croquet. I mean, mm-hmm. that's as campy as you get, which is I agree. great. Right. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm speaking also just to the fact that like the movie is immediately saying you're either going to ride with this or you're not. Like you're either on this train or you're not. And I think that that 
you know, listen, the movie didn't make any money at the time. It's a cult classic now. I'm sure it's definitely in the black now. But at the time, a pretty alienating movie, I imagine, to a certain subsect of the population. I mean, even I imagine some teens probably watched this at the time and didn't feel like they really got it. Like, isn't this a movie made for the teen that doesn't get it? The ex that I had, um, he was significantly older than me, um, Mm -hmm. a decade older. And he expressed that it was a huge film for him and his peers. And he would have been in that generation that this was sort of, he was the teen generation that this was for. I guess I, uh, perhaps I was, I wasn't particularly articulate there. I think that for the teen that this movie speaks to, it speaks to very deeply. For the teen that it doesn't, I think that they'd be like, I'm going to go watch The Breakfast Club, which is fine and a great movie in its own right. I, I I don't know. I I this is like goes back to my initial concern for the yeah. teen. It speaks to uh, it's it's to this teen to the to the disaffected teen who can identify with Winona Ryder's inner thoughts. Speaks to that person very deeply. Yeah. Then there's a whole group of people <laughs> who also like are like these motherfuckers should die. Who I think it also <laughs> speaks to very deeply. Yes, and yes. you know the same people who are like hey, you know Project Cast is kind of a good idea, mm-hmm. um, and then there I also think there's a group of people who are like uh, this has a veneer of cool. I can tell that it's cool. These lines are unusual, and I really like them. Like <laughs> the there is no was that the baby fills. The baby. Well, there's no one who there's no one who would hear "fuck me gently with a chainsaw" or "gag me with a spoon" or any of these lines and go like, "All right, that's that's not normal, and it sounds cool." Like I kind of like what's right. going. I, I do think like that's a that's a that's a thing that just that just scratches this teenage rebel itch that we all have. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it's a weird thing to say, but like I almost couldn't imagine any young person not liking this movie because. Right. It it just like it is just a cool fucking movie. Like it really is a cool fucking movie, um, in in every sense. So yeah. I come back to my initial point, which is like it's the kind of movie that requires a course to be taught with it. That is like you really have to think hard yeah. about why you like this movie mm-hmm. and whether or not you are you you are falling in with what it's criticizing Mm -hmm. or whether you are understanding that there are, you know, kind of subtextual things at work here and you're the one being criticized. And can you handle that? You know, it's, I, I fully agree with you. When you texted me the other day, um, I, I had watched Heather's and you said, you know, that this movie does sort of wrestle with some fight clubby kind of components. You know, I, I couldn't help but see, JD as this proto Tyler Durden type character as well. I mean, the chaos that he's looking to create, um, the the toxic masculinity that he feels like, whether or not consciously, is a commentary on. I mean, that the 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 sort of power dynamics that he is dealing with in his relationship with Veronica. Um, he pulls out a gun on those dudes, <laughs> and that's a heroic moment. I'm not, except it's not. Like it's very clearly not. Like I get where this kind of is to Veronica though. She kind of thinks it's pretty badass. Because and it's because interesting she, that like Heather in that moment is right. 
She's yes. like, you should go to prison. You That's go crazy. Prison. <laughs> and there's this moment. I didn't catch it. You know, I had to rewatch the movie and be like, oh, wait, there's some real insight in this character in this moment. I'm on her well, side in this moment. <laughs> well, good. I mean, there, there is there. I am on some like good for Heather shit because like yeah. good for Heather Chandler shit because like we do have a tendency as human beings, but particularly in our current time how like polarized and tribal we are to say like, all right, if, if, if someone on our side does something that's, you know, morally or ethically kind of questionable, that's okay. He's fighting for good. If someone on the other side does the same exact thing, send that motherfucker to jail. And I would would say that was very alive in the eighties and this time though. Clearly. And there are a lot of historical parallels, like the, rioting over police shootings like in miami at, at around this time like the, i think that and obviously like at the end of the reagan era and going into um bush and all of the the election and all of that stuff granted it there's no insurrection but i feel no but like that that's still there was at play that I, I think that's that's kind of the point i'm making which is veronica looks veronica is us the bad guys are these monster fucking football players who are sure. calling everyone gay and pushing people around. The good guy, the, the 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 superhero in this situation, the guy who comes in from out of nowhere to protect the school from these you know homophobic assholes, is JD, and he is using means that if anyone else used it, we'd be like, "Are you kidding?" But because he's fighting for the righteous, Veronica and the audience is like, "That's our guy." That is fighting fire with fire. But this is – I agree with you. This has been here forever, and th- and this is proof positive of it. This like this th- this situation is proof positive of it. This is the same thing as, as you know, this affected Democrats being like, we should be playing for the Republicans' playbook. We should be digging up dirt. We should be, you know, we, we should be cheating in elections or whatever the fuck it is we think we should be doing for, you know, in the sake of like doing the right thing. Um, or, you know, by any means necessary. But I, I do think that this film is very much criticizing the means, right? Like you do get to a yeah, point. I think it's a criticism of JD as much as it is of anyone else. Um, but yeah. The it's a criticism yeah. of, I mean, it's crazy. It's a film about Heathers, but I, I do think all these movies is filled called, called Heathers, but I think all these movies, this might be, you know, maybe the one place Mean Girls is lacking. That is partially about a clique of women in the middle being mean to each other. The villains, if you step back, are very often the men on the periphery. Very often sure. the men, the, the men who, who have objectified them and put them in a position where they're, you know, kind of infighting, mm-hmm. uh, while the men ultimately are the ones who have the guns, uh, are willing to use a gun, are, you know, willing to, you know, or not willing, or are the kind of people pushing people around and calling people names and marginalizing people without any consequences. Um, and I think that that is what this movie is doing. I don't really think the Heathers are all that bad. But it is interesting that it's called Heathers. Sure. And I do think that much as the male directors really, this is a feminist piece and it's on purpose, a feminist yeah. piece. And I, I absolutely have their back on that. I mean, there's Barbara Kruger, image in it and they must have had to license that 
So, um, and she's a huge feminist uh, artist. I shop there for I am, which was the most perfect piece of art to just this whole movie was in that piece of art. Yeah, right. Um, Veronica sees that in Heather's locker, right? Right. It's, it's, it's inside in, her locker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and in and of like the fact that Heather obviously doesn't understand that mm. that is a critique of her. <laughs> yes. And yes. like, there's so many levels yeah, to even yes. just that little moment yeah. of art direction to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I but, do think that it's interesting that they are it's Heather's, you know, you are supposed to think about, it's a movie about like bitchy women. Um, Which character in your opinion most embodies feminism? Cause I'm not sure I mean, it's the character. I'll, I'll it's a leading question. So I'll tell you what I'm thinking. Veronica, I was, but, I'm not sure it's the character who like, you like gets completely pulled around by this, a yeah, man, yeah. yeah, who who kind but of gives it all does, up for, but regains her sense of control and and you know ultimately is the one that sort of undoes his plan. She yeah. wrote she she wrote so much. She I mean she like you. It's hard to it's hard to give her a pass. I I know she didn't want to kill Heather, but she shot you know Ram or whoever that dude was. Like she was there for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. She and I think that and hates herself for it. Right. And you should. Uh, yeah, no, my favorite not. sort of problematic, like white feminist moment in the movie, and I think it's a critique of John Hughes movies that I loved, and maybe I'm reading into it. I, I like. There's certain '80s movies that I think legitimately hurt us. <laughs> and tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Especially like with the, like '89 the movie, like, oh, '89 movie. Like Which one? It, is it? Sorry, I didn't know. Which that. movie? Say anything. Yeah, that's '89. Yeah, like. Essentially, it romanticized stalking and and complete. It just I I don't like how he he, she, he just sort of pummels her and is like oh, I'm gonna have this. It's gonna be okay because I'm gonna show up at your house and like then you're gonna love me. And there's just this sort of narrative of like if a guy decides, oh I'm gonna win you over, then like that's all that's needed. And then the woman is just like, oh, okay. And I think, I, the, I think the wrong lessons I, are taken from say anything. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. He they they were together. That was him trying to win her back. I know that's not, but that's very different from. Oh, that's no. very different from stalking and someone saying no, 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 and the person going yes, yes, yes. I mean, there are so many movies that are about the guy, like essentially wearing the woman down by being annoying but i don't think that's what happens in that movie that is the one time when they're apart that he takes a shot that's the one time when he puts that out and he takes a shot sure. <laughs> they don't get back they don't get back together until after the shit happens with her father sure i'll, I'll just I, mean, I, would, I will just say that me, if a guy I, showed up at my house with a boom box um i would call the cops if he was my ex <laughs> At this stage in my life, in high school, no. But at this stage in my life, if I had an ex-boyfriend who I was like, we're not together anymore, and he showed up on my property with a boombox, I would call the police. Uh, There's, there's, but but there would be context to that. There, you know, like I, there would be context. I, I just, I think, like, yeah, out of context, I guess that's 
fair, but but it romantic. You have history with that guy, is what I'm saying. But anyway, back right. to Heather's. Uh, I, the, the the moment that I I love is that she has this moment of like being this very strong feminist at this party where she gets date dr- rape drugged, like she's obviously drugged. Um, and, but sticks up for herself and like throws up and then yep. ends up sort of getting herself out of this situation that's incredibly dangerous. And she goes off on how like these men are pigs. Yeah, and she's awesome she's in, in her diary yeah. with a monocle. Yeah. And then this like random guy shows up with a ladder at her yeah, window and she's Which like, oh, hi. And then she fucks him in the backyard <laughs> immediately. In the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, again, and now I mean now I feel like I'm I'm almost fighting the other side now. <laughs> He's not a random guy. There's context. He's a guy with whom Even she a, has a connection, right? But if a guy who you have a crush on shows up at your window in the middle of the night with a ladder, call the police. <laughs> I, I think that I I, I I'm, I'm not convinced say- of that. I'm not convinced of that. I'm not convinced of that. Like I just, maybe I'm too conditioned by movies from the eighties and the nineties where that was just an okay thing. Or maybe, you you know, it's close (laughs) explains it all where Sean just puts up the ladder whenever he wants to talk to her. But I, I, there is context to their relationship. Like they're clearly flirting with each other and dancing around each other. She didn't want to be with the guy at the, at the party. And right, she stood up just for because you indicate you flirt with someone, and this is this is my problem, is like, if a girl flirts with you, it certainly does not mean it is okay to get a ladder and show up at her house and climb in her window. That's I not okay. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. But I but I also think the, the rules of this movie and the rules of movie it, the movies in general, it that's not how it's presented. And I... I, I don't know. I think th- I think that like, yes, out of in 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 the world, out of context, you can't do that, of course. But in the suburbs, in the eighties, where this was pretty common practice, I that that's not how that felt to me at all. And she they also, I wouldn't say they were flirting either. Like this wasn't someone who had like a nice interaction in in class. They were like. They were, I mean, I don't remember exactly the point of this, the point of the story, but they were like dating essentially. Didn't they already kill someone? Like no. they're like, no, they, no. They, well, they what really was the reaction? Each other at that point at all? That's not. It's that's not true. They, she didn't just. They, 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 they've, they've, they've had. They've literally the only interaction they've had is in the cafeteria. They don't know each other at all. Yeah. Well. Yes. But 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 all this being said, I probably shouldn't. He probably he probably shouldn't have done that. I'll just say this, and, and I'm, I'm going to play the, a bit of devil's advocate, or at least I, in the sense that I think that what Lola's saying, uh, or I, what, I, what I'm taking away from it is that I think that the wrong lessons can be taken away from these films, and that the wrong guys out in the world watch a movie like this and perhaps think, you know, that it's okay to cross certain lines. Um, within the context of a film, within a heightened sort of environment and what have you, uh, whether or not 
narratively it's a buy that you can just be like, okay, so he did this in order, whatever. Uh, I I will say that in the last two times I watched Heather's, both times as he appears at her window, it's just kind of like bizarre and like, what are you doing? Um, but it's baked into this whole like ne'er-do-well, almost like badass James Dean thing right. that they're kind of building. Yeah, I just, which is, I, I think it's I funny. Think, uh, I think what I think matters, it's funny too, but yeah, it's just weird. It's but I think what matters is I think what matters is her reaction to it. I, I really do. Like I get that he sh- like I really think like it doesn't feel like he forced her into having sex or he. Oh no 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 coerced no, 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 no. her. I, she, I, and that's what I'm she, getting at is that it, like, that's the, the juxtaposition of her uh, the pivot is yes. the mm-hmm. funny thing to me. Yes, of this girl saying like, "Ugh, men who cross boundaries suck. I hate these guys who cross boundaries." And then like, you know, and this, then a guy this shows, up in, shows up in her window and she's like, yeah. throws the notebook <laughs> in the air, <laughs> like, tears all Hi. her clothes off, and says like, "Let's have sex in the in the backyard." And I think it's set up that way to be funny, yeah. um, and to show how human she is and how you know, we we have blinders on sometimes and can't see the danger of people. It's also a juxtaposition of JD and the fucking scumbag from the frat party, right? Which is that like, or whatever the party is, like that idea of JD being this, whatever you want to call it, her putting him on this pedestal to some degree or another of this sort of crazy, cool, badass character versus this scumbag who looked no joke, like he was 35 she, at that party, she, at that college she, party. Well, but I think this really, you know, goes back to the point about the gun. JD's an, he, he's a superhero. He's an Avenger. He, he yeah. exists outside of this, this realm where he uses tactics mm-hmm. that are illegal mm-hmm. to write the world. He's basically a vigilante to, 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 to build the world in an image that he thinks is the right way the world should operate that these people deserve to die because they're rude or bad or mean or any other reason. And what I, what I'm kind of still kind of grappling with, with the end is all right. In the absence of the heaven end where everyone dies or in the absence of the, the end you're talking about with the stabbing where Veronica dies, aren't we just saying in the end, like, institutions are good they just need to get better like vigilantes are bad like it so what's the opposite of vigilantism like a nation of laws and they just need to get better and i'm not necessarily even it, this isn't a political argument but i i am trying to parse what you are supposed to take away from this movie at the end because i think the idea of blowing up the school is appropriately nihilistic yeah. it's a it is a it is appropriately nihilistic in that okay what is the what is the the correct response to a massive tumor you cut out the tumor right like we are all part of a cancerous system and the only way to move on is to blow it up and start from scratch now there are problems with that too right but i think what veronica does the whole movie is keep trying to course correct to find some lane where someone like her and someone like Martha Dump Truck and someone like Heather Duke and someone like JD and someone like everybody can exist in some kind of cooperative society. And I think at the end, what she realizes is there's no way to do that. 
So we should probably just blow the whole thing up. But by just killing JD, yep, this is just going to perpetuate, which it has. We're not that different. We're probably worse. Yep. It's really it's really interesting. You know, until I read about these endings, which truly I didn't read about until the other day, I never really – I don't want to say never really questioned it, but I never really questioned the ending of this film for all intents and purposes. I thought that's the way Heather's ends and he kills himself and it is what it is. And now having these alternate versions, it does feel like – it just muddies its message is ultimately the problem I think. You know, I, th- I think we both agree that both of these alternate endings are just much more – a thesis statement is much more clearly delineated. That's right. Whereas this ending where they kind of twist themselves into a pretzel for, I'm assuming, a studio that, you know, wanted it creates a bit of a sort of what are you saying exactly? Yeah, I agree. Um, which is a bummer. I, I want to just for a second talk about um, something that I thought about as I was watching it yesterday. Um, Diablo Cody, who, you know, obviously Juno, Jennifer's Body, both teen-oriented films with a very sort of florid, uh, heightened theatrical way of speaking um, that, you know, listen, she wins the Oscar for Juno, but she was pretty the, – the town and, and, and film Twitter and what have you turned on her pretty quickly. She was pretty quickly crucified for this verbiage, the way that these characters speak, um, which I think is unfair. I just recently watched Jennifer's Body the other day, and I think that film holds up unbelievably well. Um, sure. And I just wonder whether or not you guys see sort of parallels between the way the characters speak in this film and the way the Diablo Cody's characters speak. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Or not. Well, uh, no, no, I'm happy to go. <laughs> Was that? I'm happy to go. I mean, it's, uh, we talked about this a little bit on our uh, Uncle Buck episode. We did. Because we got into the John Hughes stuff, but yeah. and we didn't talk about Diablo Cody, but we talked about Clueless and um, yeah. this idea of in the absence. Or, I mean, with teenage characters, I think it's better not to chase trends. It's better to create trends. And uh, I, I happen. Was that so? Trying to make fetch happen. Yes, John trying to make fetch. Exactly. Perfect. Brilliant. <laughs> Love it so much. Um, the best line maybe ever. Uh, the best like running gag. Okay. And I love Gretchen Wieners. Uh, but what I, I have so much for respect for Diablo Cody that she tried. Like it was not great in the first 20 minutes of Juno. Like they didn't it, like these lines didn't land, 
particularly Rain Wilson's lines didn't land and a lot of like this stuff didn't didn't land. But who cares? I, I don't like I felt like that was such a such a small little waste of energy to pick that stuff out from Juno and Jennifer's body and anything else that she's done. Um, and I, I think that the, the reason that film Twitter and everyone turned against Diablo Cody has almost nothing to do with that. It has everything yeah, to do with, it has everything but to do with the fact that she was a woman and she was outspoken. And right. used to be a dancer and people yep. love yep. to like yep. slut shame her. That was just, I think I I, I totally agree with you guys that the that the artifice around Diablo Cody was ultimately why everybody took issue with it. I the only reason I bring it up truly was watching Heather's the other day. I just I was thinking more and more about its influence, you know, and and what sort of you know Mean Girls obviously being an influence, seeing sort of its influence on teen comedies, and. And finding myself just loving the dialogue in Heather's because it's so, it just, it goes for it. And I appreciate that about Diablo Cody. And it's a bummer that it feels like some people at the time didn't. I'm really interested to see how Juno and Jennifer's body hold up in years. Like if, Mm -hmm. you know, on the 30th anniversary edition or whatever, uh, that perception changes around the language. Because I did, rewatching Heather, I thought about, films as historical documents kind of and i think the vernacular in it is so fascinating because it is so 89 i don't think there's any phrase i can think of that is more end of the reagan era than get a job um (laughs) so like no one would say that today but i remember people saying that and that was a thing for a while there's a way in which that preserves things and Mm -hmm. lets us have insight about the time and laugh at the time but also see how people maybe didn't even realize how much that language was reflecting the time and i i I wonder if that will happen um and i do think that language with teens is such an interesting thing and it is this common generation by generation way of creating identity and community um and signifiers and all of that stuff. So I I do kind of nerd out on all of that stuff. And I think that there is, there are benefits to both to inventing language and Mm -hmm. just showing it as it is. Um, So I think if you, if you could show it as it is more power to you, (laughs) it is Heather's does. I don't think he yeah, talked about how he stole a lot of those lines from kids during the from the his ladies. sister. Yeah, he literally, like Dana Waters That's is like, cool. I, I got my sister's diaries and was just like, you know, I mean, yeah. it's so very I love. Like that's just like it's. Oh, there's so much. I mean, there's yeah, so many no, they're, lines. They're, I mean, the first line in. Uh, sorry, I just I'll just say this one line where. Real life sucks losers dry. If you want to fuck with the Eagles, you have to learn to fly. I mean, there's just, there's so many lines that are just like, just brilliant. Anyway, sorry, Kenny, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I I think that, yeah, I I think there's an uncanny valley that you want to avoid. Yes. where you know it's it's steve buscemi and 30 rock hello fellow young people like you just it's it's very it's very dangerous to try to to, to try to, to to put on to put on your you know 
your young guy pants, your skinny jeans. I mean, look at me. I'm yeah. here in a fucking tie-dye hoodie. hoodie. But <laughs> I mean, like, it's very dangerous to try to do that. Uh, you come off as very inauthentic and your movie will suffer as a consequence. Um, but if you can pull it off, that's great. Like, yeah, it's great. I, you know, I think it's interesting too. just to, for a little bit of context on the Winona Ryder of it all. She's 16 when she gets the script, she reads it. She's still to this day attests that it's the best script that she's ever read or her favorite script that she's ever read. Um, she wanted it. She wanted this. She wanted it the role very badly. Her agent apparently begged her not to take the part, said that it would ruin her career. <laughs> um, and ultimately, I mean, obviously, that's so weird. The agent actually cared about her career. I know, right? What a nice, what a nice change. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, fuck you, agents! Yeah, like my agents paying for our Patreon. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. no way that my agent has listened to an episode of this podcast. Um. But uh, I, I think that it is it is interesting that she felt so passionately about it, continues to feel passionately about it, keeps pushing for a, a sequel, which I don't think anybody should do or, or quite frankly, wants. But it births her career. It makes her a, a, a leading star for all intents and purposes. And uh, it's just, it, it, it's, I can't imagine anyone else in this role. It just had to be her. It feels like a little bit of destiny in some way or another. Um, there really was, you know, Brad Pitt apparently auditioned for JD, Jim Carrey, Jeff oh. Nelson, Jason Bateman, Johnny Depp, all auditioned for JD. Um, all would have been better. <laughs> yeah, I don't love Slater. I don't love him in it. He's fine. He, but is, he, he is the star of one of my favorite movies. Uh, so I pump really, up the volume. Pump up the volume too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but I pretty much hate him. It's weird. Wow. To have, it's weird to have an actor that like. I mean, really, True Romance is one of my favorite movies. But it's yeah, weird great. to have an actor who so perfectly embodies one role for you, and then in almost everything else he does, just like I'll get off my screen. <laughs> there was one thing I appreciated more recently about it which, mm -hmm. which was that he is is i used to hate how performative he was yeah in it and how it felt like he was putting on this act of mm -hmm. being like a guy who talks yeah. like this and is just like a guy and i i just it made me cringe but then it sort of I realize that JD is performing and it kind of works in a weird way. Um, so I don't dislike it as much as I, I used to, because now I think I can see how a lot of men in their teens are all performing. Yeah. yeah I, it's, it's interesting. I, I watched it this time and I, I totally agree with you, Lola, that like there's this weird sort of like, Christian Slater's putting on airs or just quite frankly, a Jack Nicholson impression for most he of the literally film. Said that's what he was doing. And that airs that he's putting on, which I'm assuming is just kind of Christian Slater at the time feeling like, you know, feeling his coolness to some degree or another. But then there's also this insecurity that exists in it as well. That kind of works, but like, I agree with you. Would Brad Pitt have been better? Would, 
Judd Nelson have been better? I don't know. Johnny Depp? I don't know if these people, they might have been better. But like Christian Slater is bringing some sort of a thing at that moment in Christian Slater's career that feels interesting. There's an arrogance that works in a weird way. Um, but I, I hear you, Kenny. There's a well. I don't know. It, it works. I, I don't mean to just shit on it. Maybe the <laughs> fact that maybe the fact that he repels me is part of it. Sure. Um, Possible. But but yeah, he has a a weaselly quality to him mm-hmm. um, that I find repellent to the point that I have a hard time buying into even the good ver- the, the 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 good part of it. The part where he's supposed to be seductive, right? Like that's the part where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Like that's that he is not the dark, mysterious stranger in the corner, you know, that, that I think he's being played at. And I also, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just another way to play the character, but I think the turn might have more power and gravity if it is someone like a Brad Pitt or a Johnny Depp. Pimply Brad Pitt too. Yeah, that was how he was described in one of these interviews. And I think like there's a way in which I think that version could have really pulled us along. Yep. In a way, in a sort of Humbert Humbert way, Mm -hmm. um, where you become charmed with him and then realize how that's what I'm getting at. Messed up it is that you've become charmed by him. I think there's there's also something about like take JD's answer to the lunch bowl for for instance where he says, I guess I'd take a bottle of tequila out to the river with my sacks and some Bach. Which all it's like JD's just a tool. And there's this kind of component of like if that line came out of Brad Pitt or Johnny Depp's mouth, I might've weirdly bought it a little bit more. But then when Christian Slater says it, you're like, what? But that kind of works too in a weird way where you're just like, what the fuck are you saying right now? Right. It's, it's all, it's, it's, it all works. It just works on different like wavelengths. I don't know. Um, I, I think that the, the, Veronica's parents, that whole stuff is really fast. The parents, the parental figures in this film in general, I find really fascinating. I find the parents and that weird loop that they're in, like, why do I read these things? Because you're an idiot, like that they're having the same conversation over and over again. (laughs) It's fantastic. That's basically the relationship I have with my daughter. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, like, I look at JD's relationship with his father, which is fucked up on a completely different level. Like, they're just like sociopaths that are just feeding their own life. They're hilarious. That <laughs> when he talks to him is... like he's the kid, and he talks to him like he's the dad. I, that's that's it. That's I've never seen anyone. I never. I never even considered like taking that joke to that extreme. But that's pretty, it. Was pretty funny to me. And yeah. so eerie. Like, I thought that yeah. running gag of how they communicate with each other was so, so the perfect sort of uh, combo of comedy and darkness that goes yeah. through the film. For sure. And then just even like the 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 dad at the, uh, I think it's at Ram's funeral, where he's like, I love my dead gay son. Like the 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 the, the way that they kind of play with all of these quite frankly, parental stereotypes, I guess, and kind of deconstruct them and, and have fun with them. The mother finding Veronica uh, when she thinks that she's killed herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like the mom feels bad and says, I wish I had, it's, it's just, I don't know. I find, I find all the adults in this movie are bizarre and fascinating. 
I have a question. Please. What do you think of Jewishness in this film? Like, do you feel like... Cause that I didn't was really feel much of it, <laughs> quite frankly. Elaborate, elaborate. I yeah. want to answer this well, question. Well, it's made by Jewish people, and Winona Ryder is Jewish. What isn't? Right. Winona Horowitz. But it feels so waspy. Yes. That it, it just reminded me of a family I knew who, where it was like this desire to – I don't know because I grew up in L.A. So for the most part, all of the families – like when I was in L.A. or the States, I was in a place where it was like fine to just be Jewish. But I do yeah. wonder if like in Ohio in the 80s, there is this sort of pressure of waspiness for Jewish people. I don't know. I just – it, that's a really, really I, it, I, that's fascinating. I never really thought of it through that lens, but I think there definitely is something to that. What do you think, Kenny? Um, well, I think, uh, I'm, I'm going to approach it from a little bit of a different direction and assume there's nothing to it. And if I, no, but I'm serious. If I assume there's nothing to it, because I don't think there is, but if you assume there's nothing to it, then you start to then you start to maybe examine why a bunch of Jewish people want to make this film set among the waspy elite of a town like you know I don't know where they're from but but somewhere in Ohio right why that is something that a bunch of Jewish people feel like they need to you know subvert and take down comment on and. Uh, I, I do, I, I do wonder if, if there is some element of we've done, and I think this is, this was probably pretty true for Jews, uh, around this period. We've done everything you've asked us to, and you're still not letting us in. Mm. Um, I think this is kind of an immigrant experience in general in America. Like we've done everything you've asked us to, but you still have these walled gardens and, you know, these, these gated communities and, and these, you know, country clubs, you still won't let us in just because of who we are. Fuck you. We're going to expose who you are. Um, but it's different coming from Jews. I just particularly Hollywood Jews where these, these walled gardens and gated communities are very open for the most part are open to Jews. And some of them are populated mostly by Jews. Hollywood studios are in general run by Jews. Um, and I think at this time, you know, I read a lot about Hollywood. Uh, I was just kind of obsessed. And I know in the mid eighties, cause I happened to be reading a book about it. Six out of seven studios were run by Jews. So this is, it's an, I don't know. Is it, is it, a, a, is it an appropriate criticism coming from millionaire Jewish people, uh, to old money uh, 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 about old money waspy people. Um, I don't know. I, 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 that, that's kind of what I'm coming from. I guess my, my, my main point is there's nothing, I don't see anything righteous here, right? I don't see anything righteous in this, in this takedown from a Jewish perspective. But I find it fascinating. I think that's an interesting point. You know, I, yeah, wait, I, wait, I, I, Lola, did you want to say something? Yes, yeah, sir. No, I mean, I'm not Jewish, so I, I just wondered what your perspective was. I clocked suddenly that I had just had a conversation with someone about how uh, a lot of like Jewish characters are not cast as 
but with Jewish actresses yeah. and um, uh, but sometimes shikses are played by Jewish women. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and so I think I just had that on my brain. I was talking to sure. a Jewish friend of mine who's an actress who was talking about all of those issues. So when I rewatched Heather's, knowing that Winona Ryder is Jewish, I was just like, oh, this is this is an interesting layer I had not thought about. So this is a very, very, I love talking about this, by the way. This is perfect bedroom. <laughs> Very dicey territory. Um, if we start to if we start to discuss Jews in Hollywood as marginalized, you get to a place where some Jewish people may exploit that when we start talking about the integration of other marginalized people who've been historically marginalized by Hollywood into Hollywood. Now, for instance, things like inclusion writers. Um, do they include Jews or not? Well, do Jews count? Well, it's obvious to me as a Jewish person that Jews don't have the same issue that BIPOC people have in Hollywood in terms of getting employment. Um, so when it comes to Jewish actors playing non-Jewish characters and non-Jewish characters playing Jewish characters, I do think that we have gotten to the point culturally where we can do that. And when we talked to when we talked to Scott Turner Schofield about this in terms of trans characters playing non-trans characters, non-trans I mean trans actors playing non-trans characters and and uh non-trans actors playing trans characters, we're not nearly at that point. Right? One day we might be at that point where a cis actor can play a trans character again. Because trans actors Oh, there we go. Sorry, we lost oh, you for a second. Oh, you lost okay. me? Yeah. Oh, was my, did, did you hear what I said about Scott Turner Schofield? Okay, so when we had Scott Turner Schofield on, Scott Turner Schofield is a trans actor. Um, he was saying how we're not culturally at the point. I assumed he's an actor. Um, I assume that he read for cis roles, and he said no, almost never. Um, and that was a, an assumption I brought into the conversation. I was wrong, and until we get to the point where trans actors can read for cis roles we really should not even consider cis actors playing trans roles and even then it's dicey but in terms of jewish actors or non-jewish actors playing roles that don't you know conform to their religion i think we're well past that and i think we do have to acknowledge the reality of particularly jews in this field which is we are not at a disadvantage um in the ways that bipoc people are or LGBTQ people are, or have been historically yeah. at least. Uh, yeah, but it's not the oppression Olympics, and I think um, I don't know. I think that there are, but it's not. But I, we are making policy based on it. So, like it, it, it does. It, yes, it's not the oppression Olympics, but we are making policy. So, when you're making these policies in terms of like that did i did i get uh knocked off did you hear me no, when i was talking about inclusion writers and stuff like that sure yeah when we're making policy based on it in terms not necessarily even governmental but ter- you know we're making industry-wide policy you do have to be specific and i think careful about who has historically been marginalized and excluded and i don't think jews really fit into that category right 
but I guess I mean more societally when I brought it up with Heather's. I'm, I'm less talking about the industry and more talking about this world, this era of of like Reagan era and how uh, in Ohio in particular, mm-hmm. like even today, I know Jewish friends who grew up in Texas who basically obliterated their Jewishness to blend in. And I just... I, I I kind of wondered if you guys clock that or if you think there's anything there as far as, you know, they don't say whether Veronica is Jewish or not. But I do think that it's interesting that that identity just does not exist in this movie. I don't think she's coded as Jewish. She's um, not. Yeah. I just think in a in a film that's critiquing so much in such a savvy way, I think it's interesting that that doesn't explicitly exist at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I, I think it's interesting too, but I think it, I think the omission is, is by design. I think, mm-hmm. I think Jewish people in general uh, are often very, this, this generalization, there's a big generalization, but I think a lot of Jewish people are, are not comfortable discussing their Jewishness um, in the context of society as a whole um, for a lot of reasons. You know, I think you, you were just talking about with the, the, the obliteration of Jewishness. That's, yeah, that's a real thing. And that's a privilege we have as white people, most of us who can pass for, you know, non-denominational or Catholic or Christian or whatever really we want, um, or at least, you know, a big question mark above our heads and a lot of Jews have chosen that path, and I, I have to. I mean, there's not a, you know, there's there's no judgment here uh, on that res- in that respect. But yeah, it's it's it is a it's different. It's the whole thing is different as white Europeans who just have a different religion from the majority of white Europeans in this country. It's a it's a it's a different, unique little, you know, pocket we occupy. Yes to everything Kenny is saying. I, I I don't have I don't have uh I don't really have much to add to it. I I you know I I think that um you know I identify as Jewish not from a religious perspective but really much more from a cultural perspective. And I think that uh, you know uh, I, in terms of whether or not the 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 writer director or what have you were, were using this film as, as a commentary in that way. I don't know. I mean, it certainly hasn't been any documentation about them saying so. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if maybe uh, on some level subliminally or otherwise, perhaps they were, and they didn't know it. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I certainly don't want to speak for Kenny, but you know, when I'm writing a character, um, unless in my head, they are specifically Jewish. I'm never really thinking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, it's just sort of, I just maybe that just has a lot to do with the fact that I just re- religion is just not something that necessarily folds into my creative output. Um, but there's a lot of insecurity yeah. when it, in, in that respect. That too. For yeah. me, at least, there's a lot for of sure, insecurity. Sure. Mm-hmm. And and I brought this up in another podcast, but I'm of the opinion Jews are overrepresented in in film and television. You know, I'm of the opinion that that. The, 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 the percentage of Jewish characters, at least in, um, 
the kind of film and television that gets nominated for awards and the kind of film and television uh, that uh, that is, you know, considered like culturally relevant. Sure. Uh, is greater, far greater than the percentage of the population. So when I sit down to write a character, mm-hmm. I'm insecure about someone reading it and saying, oh, another per- another character with Steen at the end of their name, another character with Berg at the end of their name. Like, yeah. why do, why, what does, what does this Jewish character, how does this Jewish character relate to the world at large? And there's a double level, level of insecurity mm-hmm. because I don't, even consider myself like a typical Jewish person. It's funny because I think from the outside looking in and I'm Lola, I correct me if I'm wrong, but like there's this idea of mate of, of Daniel waters and Michael Amen and Winona Ryder, like bringing their Jewishness to everything they do because they have to, because they're Jews or no, it's, in- that's not what I mean at all. Um, I don't think that. And I actually, if anything, I think I wanted after this conversation with my friend, because she was sort of challenging the idea of there being a typical Jew. Um, Mm -hmm. I agree with that. The idea that when you do see a representation, it is this sort of stock representation um, instead of just a person who happens like they're a character, but there is some implication or that their name ends in man or whatever it is and there's not a huge fuss over it but they're just like anyone else so that was an interesting perspective to hear and i i've really it's very interesting to hear about all these layers from you and think about the this family um the Sawyers, you know, and Veronica and how she is coded in a certain way. She passes like she is. She's not a Heather. She's a Veronica, but she is Mm -hmm. part of this world and can pass in this world, but still feels all of these layers of not quite belonging. And I think that. that, that, Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. um, That's an interesting idea. You know what? You know what I think, Lola? I think that I think. I think I think it's subconscious. Um, growing up in a place where our our white population, which was you know probably eighty eighty five percent, the other you know the the majority of the other uh, people being mostly Asian, Southeast Asian, um, was half Jewish. The popular crews were generally split down the middle or maybe a little more Christian than Jewish. Uh, and I don't think they or anybody in this cruise thought about their identities as Jews or Christians or anything like that. But there probably was something subliminal about being, I'm thinking of one group of girls who, you know, might be the closest thing to our Heathers. And, you know, there were, two Jewish girls and there were four Christian girls and, and they, it, there, it was, there was a difference, you know, there, like there, there is a, there is a little subtle difference. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, your friend is a hundred percent right. There is, there is no normal Jew. There is no such thing as a stereotypical Jew. We're, we contain multitudes. Right. Of course, like everybody else does. Um. So, but I think that's interesting. I mean, I would say that, you know, I think there have been a lot of representatives of a lot of representation of different kinds of Jews. I think, the fact that 
people don't think of Rachel Green or Monica Geller as Jews, I think speaks to that, you know, to some extent. Yeah, I think it does speak to that. And I think it speaks to it in a way that's a bit sad, honestly. Sure, sure. That we should think of Jewishness as as being incredibly diverse because it is. Mm-hmm. But when a lot of people sort of say, like, think of a Jewish family, there is a stereotype. And I think that it would have been interesting to just even have like any kind of indicator of I, I just feel like she what my friend was saying is like, we need to just acknowledge that there are like beautiful young Jewish women that just look like a Heather. And the, and then there there are also like there's everything in between. Mm-hmm. And um, I just found that interesting. And it yeah, from sure, my own sure. perspective, unfortunately, it wasn't something that I had really clocked prior yeah, to I- maybe three weeks ago, which is unfortunate, but no, I, I think it's, it's, it's not something that I had thought about with this film and, and, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I mean, it's why I love this podcast that we can have the conversations and think about things that, that just did not occur to me as I was watching the film. Um, I, I want to switch gears to a question to both of you that I'm curious about, which is the, the depiction of sex in the film and just how I appreciate that the movie's, pretty cavalier about sex and i don't mean that in a in a gross way but in a sort of um kids have sex and kids talk about sex and it's done in a way that felt believable um and didn't cross any lines into sort of that you know uh and when i say kids i mean the film kids like larry clark's kids like it doesn't get to that to to a place of of being salacious um and I'm just curious as to what you guys thought about that. Cause I, there's, there's jokes in it, you know, a sword fight that when he says they had a sword fight in your mouth, um, that there's obviously a lot of, a lot of sort of jokes about sex. We don't see any actual sex. We see post-coital the scene with, with Veronica and JD and they make out in a car at one point, but for the most part, it's a pretty chaste film. Um, but like, it feels like in high school, people talk a lot about it in a way that felt real. I don't know how you guys thought about it. I agree with you. Um, in that I like that it's the way that it's talked about is very cavalier, but I think Mm -hmm. that I noticed a sexual repression in a lot of the characters. And I, I thought that that was really interesting. Like there is this, there is a lot of talk about sex, but there's not a lot of sex. Yeah. Um, which is so Victorian. Which is high school. And high school. <laughs> yeah. And um, the sort of slut shaming, but then everybody is just so horny and <laughs> just dying to have sex, but judging each other for having sex. And yep. I, I thought it really nailed all of that. Um, and I, it was really, I remember this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I remember there's no one listening the to this. First time I saw it, the time I, I remember the first Heather dying and yes. the expression on her face felt orgasmic to me. Um, and it felt like the most sort of orgasmic facial expression in the film is it's when not she's embarrassing. Die. It's not embarrassing, yeah. but um, it's true. You know, yeah. to die is bit. to have an orgasm. 
Yep. A little <laughs> and death. To say, and right. to say corn nuts. And to say corn nuts before you die. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that – I know what you're saying, um, Lola. There's, there is something that, – the film feels dangerous in that way, like that 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 sex feels dangerous to some degree. That there's a forbidden kind of component to it a little bit, I don't which f- feels very, uh, which I feel like in high school, it feels like you're playing with fire a little bit with that stuff, which is why everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to kind of, it 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 all feels sort of um, forbidden, I guess, in some way or another. I, and I feel like the film does a good job of of exploring that. The, the the to me the best part of the film with respect to um sex is how anticlimactic JD and and uh no pun JD and uh Veronica's first time was. It was not right. it right. was not, yes. you know, again, I love Save Eddie. Uh did we just lose Will? No, Will had to. It's okay. We're not gonna. Con, we're not oh, gonna right. record the rest of the video. Okay. But he had to go, so let's just keep talking. Okay. Is there uh, any I, we could pause, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Go, go. Do you need to go pee or something like that? Yeah, yeah go, 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 go. Yeah, go. me too. I always do. We'll be back. No? Sorry. This is a you. great chance to do that. Hey. Oh, wow. We came back at like exactly the same moment. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. All right. Where were we? 
we were talking about sex. <laughs> Baby. Baby. Let's talk about uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're talking about sex. Uh, in Heather's specifically. Oh, I the guess. one thing I yeah. wanted to say about okay. sex in Heather's yes. was I loved Ram's, I think it was Ram's, internal yes. monologue when he's, yes. when he is sitting over Heather's, Heather, um, you know, the dead one, Heather Chandler's mm-hmm. coffin, and he's yeah. talking to God, and he keeps making sex jokes that are not jokes, but he keeps telling God, bro, it's a joke. Like, just lighten up, God. Uh, he's like, she looks pretty hot in that coffin. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. God, like, like, can't you take a joke? Like, there is that. It's a bad thing to say about such a, you know, repulsive character, but there is a, Oh, oh, there's a kind of lovely war going on inside of that guy's head where he clearly wants to be a decent guy, but he also wants to be a fun time party guy getting out with the bros. And I think that that I think it's deeper than 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 just a joke. I I think that speaks to the good guys who are pulled in to this toxic to this culture of toxic toxic masculinity. Uh, who wouldn't necessarily be pulled in if the culture didn't exist or if it was marginalized and pushed to the side, you know, kind of like, kind of like cordoned off mm-hmm. in a way that didn't, you know, expose guys like Ram to its toxicity, to, to its toxicity. Well, it's like, it's you like, see what it, I'm saying? I, like, I do. He's, he, there is this push and pull with him. That I think is really fascinating that you're kind of honing in on Kenny. Like in the cafeteria scene, when he's asked about what he would do if he won a million dollars, he's like, I'd pay I'd pay Madonna yeah. to have sex with me. And then he's like, actually, she should pay me. Like he's just like he starts from a place of being like, I'd pay her. And he's like, No, 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 like she should have to pay. Like it's just he doesn't he's just grappling with just all, all these weird notions of masculinity. It's the 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 performativeness of that character. Yeah. yeah. Like he doesn't he doesn't quite know what a toxic male would say so <laughs> yes. he's testing it all out to see and, if it lands yeah. with the bros yeah yeah and he yeah. has this like kind of like look around for yeah. approval sort of quality that i see and it's it's those guys who are the guys who were very dangerous those are the guys who who wind up doing things like date rape like yeah, who yeah, just yeah. don't really understand doesn't know where the line is and he's just he's testing it because yeah. he's not doing it for himself he's doing it to impress his friends which so, which by the way feels like kind of the whole movie in a nutshell right i mean all of these characters are testing boundaries trying to find lines uh it, it's it's it is really interesting to sort of to see it through that lens. Cause I mean, I think that's, there's a lot of reasons why this film has stood the test of time. And I think one of them is this specific notion of a movie about a bunch of kids, not knowing where they fit, not understanding how to, how to exist. And it's also really funny and it's also really scathing and it's, it's willing to, to go to those places. And I know that, that, I mean, Mean Girls is a great movie and Mean Girls does feel like Heather's light in a lot of ways. Like it does feel like it's trying to do somewhat similar things in a much more, um, 
It's doing its own you know. things too. I like sure, sure, but on its, its own turn, it, I love Mean Girls so much. It's like I my do favorite too. movie. I of love the it. Double zeros, but uh, do you have any more to say about the whiteness off uh, <laughs> podcast? I have so much to say about whiteness. So, uh, talk about it a little bit. I just, I'm just. I just think it's very interesting that they use Moby Dick because the it is a literal obsessive uh, quest for whiteness and the white whale and how it destroys everyone. And then there, even in the novel, there are, there is discussion of race. And I just think that that is very much what's going on with all of these characters is it is this obsessive quest for something that is just unachievable. And I, I see a lot of, that being about whiteness and misogyny and all of that. Um, I want to. You could have said that on the podcast. Yeah, you could have said that on the podcast. Sure, I we can. should. We should. We'll just put that in. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I do want to. It's interesting on a, on a literary sort of connection. Um, so Heather Chandler. They, they give her the, the Drano. She drinks it. She dies. There's a, a beautiful overhead shot of her going through the glass coffee table. On the coffee table um, is the cliff notes for Sylvia Plath's The Bell Yeah. Child. Well, that's where they get um, the idea. Which is where they obviously get the idea. But it's also – I just love that it's the cliff notes, that she's, that she's not reading the book. She's reading the cliff notes version of it. Um, it then there's a great line. Veronica says, I can't believe I killed my best friend. JD says, and worst enemy. And she says, same difference. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think, uh, I'm, I'm curious, Lola, and I, I, we definitely wanted, I mean, I certainly wanted to make sure that we had a female uh, guest for this. And I just sort of want to kind of hone in for a second here on this idea of um, teenage girls, this, this sort of, um, you know, friend and foe, <laughs> friend or foe. And just that idea of, cause that, that does feel like that's the badge this movie wears for a lot of people. Right. And I'm, right. I, I'm sort of curious as to, as to what your experiences were like as a teenage girl and whether or not this film speaks to that in any way. Right. So update, I don't <laughs> identify as a female. Okay. Um, so I, I came out as gender fluid uh, mm-hmm. somewhat recently. Mm-hmm. But I know all about sure. uh, performing. Sure, sure, sure. Fair enough. Fair point. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, that question actually made me really emotional because, um, yeah, it is a thing. And it is a thing that I think can really hurt women and hurt relationships. And I think that there is this thing with especially – teen girls where you're teaching each other this survival tactic of feminine performance. And there's this notion that if you are in control of that performance, you have power. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a false notion in many ways, but you, there's sort of this thing where you go into these gaggles and you create this way of putting on lipstick and of, of uh, you teach each other w- how to wear things and how to speak and how to walk and how to be a woman, quote unquote. Um, and I was struck at the top at, at how these 
girls look like they're 35. You know, they're wearing these suits and shoulder pads. And there's this little girls playing dress up Mm -hmm. sort of thing that feels like it's at play. Mm -hmm. And it is completely, I feel like I, I probably haven't, even more exaggerated sense of how uncomfortable that performance can feel when you don't feel at home in it. But I feel like Veronica does not feel at home in feminine performance and in this sort of catty thing that is being developed in her subset of girls. And she just wants to be a person and your best friends are your sort of, there's this line she says about, it's like they're my coworkers and our job is being popular. Yes. And yeah. that really strikes me. And sure. yeah, I I had a friend pass away in February of last year and she was like this person who taught me how to be a girl in a way. And she was this incredibly high femme priestess sort of Mm -hmm. and so much of our friendship was this thing of her grooming me and making me more girl-like because I was such a boy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there was just a very mask side of me always and I think that there there is a genuine intention of protection and sisterhood Mm -hmm. it's just misguided because of society I think and it's it it is this sense of, you know, you have to wear this, this, and this so that you can get power from men. Um, and it's very, it's difficult to navigate. And it it's subconscious. Like, I think a lot of, especially teenage girls, don't understand why they, like, kind of hate their girlfriends a little bit. Um, yeah, because there's, like, this weird, like, within within the the click of Heather's and and Veronica, there's this weird support system that they have in terms of perpetuating this, these sort of obviously toxic ideas of what it means to be popular, what it means to be a girl. I mean, there's, there's this, the, the scene in the bathroom where it's implied that I guess Veronica is helping Heather Duke vomit Mm -hmm. um, in in terms of her, her Mm -hmm. eating disorder. Um, there, there is this very sort of uh, toxic support system that's going on there um, to to prop each other up in a weird way that I think feels a little bit to to what you're speaking of. Yeah, because it's driven by a desire for power rather than yeah. for happiness or healing. Right. Um, and, and for and for and and for this superficial the superficial components of of high school life, I guess. Doesn't right. I want to talk about uh, the uh, Kurt and Ram double date, luring to them, them to the woods, JD and Veronica um, try to make it look as though they're gay lovers by planting mineral water, uh, which I guess was a thing in the eighties. Was that a thing in the eighties? Uh, among gay people, it seems. Okay. It's okay. It was definitely um, a thing for my parents. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> um, so they, they make it look like a murder-suicide love pact situation. I think 
I think the cops, that guy who basically is probably Paul Shear's dad, was <laughs> so funny. It's like, God, <laughs> let's go! It's so big funny. and so broad. It's, yeah, it's, it's just sad. That's like, a great are little they naked? performance. Are they naked? Oh, yeah. man, he so, finds the mineral waters. Obviously, he knows what's going on here, guys. The logistics of, of the way this plays out make my head hurt a little bit, but essentially, Kurt runs, and JD chases him back to Veronica, so Veronica's forced to kill Kurt. I don't know if that was intentional on JD's part, so she was fully part of the crime. I don't know, because JD could have shot him 10 times over from the distance he was at. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this leads to one of my favorite moments in the movie, which is after they're after they kill them, they're in the car and uh, they both put cigarettes in their mouth. Veronica pushes in the car lighter and rather than lighting her cigarette, she burns her hand to sort of as penance or because she i don't know to feel something i'm assuming under the circumstances and then jd lights his cigarette off of her burning flesh <laughs> i just think it's an amazingly dark comedic moment that i yeah just that's a that, that, sh- that should have been a sign i would say right there that was probably <laughs> a red flag you think that's a red probably flag? red probably red flag right there <laughs> she sees red flags as like colorful bunting so <laughs> And I've, I yeah. identify with her. Yeah, that it's, was it's wild. That moment was wild. Like, it's I, wild. I, yeah. I don't even know what to make of it. It's, it's a fantastic, I think it's a fantastic moment. Um, <laughs> there's also another moment that I want to unpack very quickly, which is uh, Veronica has a scene with her parents. And her mom says that when kids complain about not being treated like human beings, it's probably because they're being treated like human beings. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Like funny, but also so true. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Take that, and you I, dumb kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's it just feels like a very sort of um it's a real moment that I think lands for Veronica. Everything is spinning for her at this point in the film, where she obviously doesn't trust JD anymore. She doesn't really know what what the best course of action is in order to stop him. Um, She tells him she's not going to participate in any more killings. Uh, They have this crazy, surreal sequence in the kitchen with just this gothic lighting and these crazy fisheye lenses. And like, she's looking at her reflection in the, in the knife and it's, it's just the movie really at this point tips into full like fantasy mode, essentially like dark Gothic fantasy. Like surrealist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. the dream sequence at Heather Duke's funeral where like, it's just full on surreal. That whole funeral sequence is just tremendous. And I, I love everything about it. And, uh, and then Heather Chandler forces her face into the spaghetti. spaghetti and the eye like opening. Worms. Yeah. It's that felt like Beetlejuice showing up. Yes, like a hundred percent. Yes, a hundred percent. In a way that I loved. Oh, for sure. Then, now, always. Yes. <sighs> Just um, so good. There's a great moment where so JD blackmails Heather Duke into getting the students to sign a petition that they don't know is actually a giant mass suicide note. Um, <laughs> and then later Veronica fakes her, sui- <laughs> fakes her suicide to trick JD, who assumes she's dead and reveals his plan to blow up the school after a pep rally. 
Veronica then goes to the guidance counselor, who's everyone thinks is a hippie, um, mm-hmm. or everyone by that I mean the teachers. And the guidance counselor says to her, whether to kill yourself or not is one of the most important decisions a teenager can make. Tremendous. <laughs> Just amazing. So um, and then the next day, she confronts JD in the boiler room. He's planted this dynamite. She shoots him. His switchblade cuts the wires to the detonator. She shoots him in a very specific place. She does. That moment she? is yeah. let us not skip over the fact Please. that he gives her the finger and she shoots his middle finger off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I just watched um, Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. like last week. Yeah. And there's a moment where <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, it felt you wouldn't be scared. It's okay. literally the best. Okay. All right. But there's a moment where Freddy to like freak, freaks about, just cuts off two of his fingers and goes, ha! <laughs> Reminds me of that too. <laughs> and also he like, just the, the worms too. Like another like thing he does is just freak him out. Cause he's got a lot of Beetlejuice in him, to be honest. He just cuts <laughs> his body open and there are these green worms inside his body. It's like, ha! Uh, <laughs> You would love it. I'm telling you, you would actually love the movie because it's not I would scary. love it's, your rendition of Freddy Krueger. Is what Freddy, I'm loving. Well, we're gonna do oh the. We're gonna God, do the. Yes. We're gonna do the episode, whether you like it or not. Oh God! Kenny was gonna force me to watch horror movies from 1989 that I'm too scared Lola, to watch. There's a There's a Nightmare on Elm Street, a Friday the Thirteenth, and a Halloween, and like all like late in the run that came out this year. So you can do all three of them and talk about to. all of their killers. But the only the only I might do it. I might do it. The only fun killer of the bunch is Freddy. The other two are masked. Yeah, they're fucking, boring. Yeah. Well, there's just scary, but but Freddy's a Freddy's a hoot. <laughs> Freddy's a character. There For is a, child, a lot of Beetlejuice. Like, over, I see that overlap that you're talking about with him for sure. Yeah, and like you know, Beetlejuice is like kind of a killer too, right? Like he's Beetlejuice just having is, a bit of fun, you know. Like I think both of them are essentially clowns. They kind of come just, from the same place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hedy, Freddy just <laughs> yeah, afterworld, which is true. Freddy just, you know, he's he, he's just a murderer. That's yeah. who he was in life, and that's always been my theory about ghosts. Why you shouldn't be scared of ghosts? The thing is about- that they're murderers, and it's cool. Like <laughs> no, it's the exact what? opposite. It's the exact opposite. If someone wasn't a murderer in life, I don't think they're going to be a murderer in death. Like oh, you're saying ghosts? ghosts oh, most like, ghosts. Okay. No, look if you if you happen upon a child murderer like Freddy Krueger, his ghost that would scare me. But normal people aren't gonna like kill you when they come back as ghosts. They're gonna like you know try to figure out what it is that they're missing in order to get to the next. Nice. I love I love Kenny's version of the afterlife. This is great. I kind of um, agree I, with you. I had like, I a very over- chill ghost in my old house who is like I- not. <laughs> Not the vast majority of people are not out to hurt you, right? So mm-hmm. you would have That's a true. very chill ghost. Like most, yeah. like most, like you're the likelihood of meeting a chill ghost is the same as the likelihood of meeting a chill human, right? That's my. It's pretty high. Yeah. I agree with yeah. that. Yeah, almost, almost all. Sometimes people. I think he would get annoyed at like it was like a roommate, you know, like yeah. hey, you're not supposed to be in here right now. Like this is kind of my time. So like, could you just? <laughs> I love this. I can love bl- this relationship you, you had him? with a ghost, Lola. It made my day. Lola was like BFFs yeah. with a ghost, guys. Uh, so we wait, were cordial. Wait, this was in, this was in a, a previous place? Yeah. I lived in, in LA? Aldous Huxley's old house. Oh, stop. In the Hollywood Hills. Was and it his? It was like half. It was uh, one of these like mansionettes that was like partitioned in half. So yeah. I lived on one side of it. 
And uh, it was it was crazy. But I want to yeah. ask a question. I would ask a question. Did you know it was Aldous Huxley's house before you moved in? I don't know when we found out, but I think the landlord told us pretty early. Because I wonder if that was a draw to move in for you. Yeah. I guess if you didn't know, if you didn't know, it wasn't. But yeah. Um, My roommate desperately wants to live in a haunted house. Like that's her dream. I would live I, in a haunted house. I, 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 the thing I'm actually truly afraid of isn't my own house being haunted because again i don't think that's anything to be so afraid of mm -hmm. uh but like those haunted hotels hard pass on staying in a haunted hotel because what happens in fucking hotel rooms no a hundred percent the queen like that, mary is yeah that hotel downtown no thank you the one that uh what's that thing called where that oh the cecil yeah yeah no thank you I mean, I, I don't, and again, I don't think I'm being killed, but I do think it would be horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, basically. So you, you've seen The Shining? I've seen The Shining. Oh, you yeah. can handle fucking Nightmare on Elm Street or any of these movies. But it, it, it really scared me and it gave me nightmares. But you're here today to tell the tale that it is the best movie. It's a great movie. And The Shining is like genuinely terrifying in a way yeah. that I feel like all of those movies are just more fun and right. silly. Nightmare. Right. The Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street is just fun and silly. Mm -hmm. Halloween, like after the first one, is mostly just fun and silly. Jason winds up becoming the most fun and the most silly. He goes They're to space, doesn't he? He goes to eventually, space. but when he takes Manhattan, that's really when he gets fun. <laughs> I, <laughs> like love the I didn't know you were such a horror person. I love horror, but I'm also Ugh. I'm like a weird horror fan in that I am scared by horror, and that's why I like it. That's like the it best gives part. Me that catharsis. Yeah, I don't like I don't walk around every day like saying I want to cry today, but like nothing's better than a good cry it's in true. a movie, it's right? True. Like mm -hmm. I want uh, any any movie that makes me feel something, anything is a fucking great experience. So I hear that. I love I, horror. I, I love horror movies. I will watch whatever horror you want with you, Phil. And I think we had a oh. lot of fun uh, being traumatized by the witch together. We did. We there both were traumatized by the witch. And that goat named Phil. I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> Phil. Anyway. Uh, so we've talked about the end of the film. But let's, let's rate this. Let's, uh, let's, let's rate this. Wait, there's um, so much we missed, though. Can we... Yeah, I have please, one go, pet go, peeve go, go, with go. this movie that I, I feel like nobody notices and it makes me so sad. But okay. I feel like this movie has a what about Barb problem. Um, sure, sure. What Ooh. happens to Betsy? Which one's Betsy? Exactly. It's like her best friend. There's like this Betty. catharsis. You mean Betty. You mean Betty. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Betty and Veronica. Yes, yeah. Betty and Veronica, they're sort of sold as like these best friends. Yeah. And then she walks off into the sunset with another girl. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It should have been it should have been Betty at the end. It shouldn't have been Martha Dumptruck. Yeah, it has this unresolved feeling where she, the last time they see each other is Betty they play, is so insecure. Yep. Like, okay, and then Betty has to leave when the other Heather show up. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. That 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 they did not round off that story. Yeah. You know who that actor is? No. Uh, Renee Estevez, who is Charlie, really? Jean, and Emilio Estevez's sister. She's on the West Wing a bunch. Yeah. I did not even – that's crazy. That's so funny. She's great. I, I, it's funny you bring that up, Lola, because I do think that um, – What about Barb? That show. 
I, well, mm. yeah, that show. <laughs> I mean, we, we don't need to talk about that show, but I'll just say this. How could they when, do that to that I character? They bring, when they bring back Betty, she's there to sort of ground Veronica again in reality and to sort of make her see, you know, the error of her ways for, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, and it's a really lovely scene that begs for some sort of a reconciliation between them. But my guess is that they felt like this scene did that. And I agree with you that it feels like an ellipse and it did, didn't really round it off. Let's, uh, let's talk about the girl that she did walk into the sunset with Martha. Because why aren't we talking more about, about Martha? Yeah. And also about big fun. <laughs> uh, like, first of all, I'm so into a movie that has an in-world like <laughs> band and song and how it's the biggest thing, but it's not about that. Yep. I love that. Like, I love that's good world building to me. And everyone's wearing the big fun shirts that are like those like Frankie says relaxed shirts that are just like just block or like the um, what were the what choose love that uh or was it choose life choose life the ones that wham wore just like block letters right yes. big yes. fun yes you know yes. it's a yep. big i love it they put the yep. big fun on the barbie doll like that's that's good shit right there and it's um, a bop too it is a bop of course it's, it's a an, bop. it yeah. absolutely yeah. slaps yeah. don't do it i call it don't do it <laughs> sure because i do i know what the songs are really about <laughs> and but, it's also based on a real life queen song mm-hmm. Which is so What's crazy. the song? I forget the name of it. You texted it to me. Um, keep talking, I'll find it. Yeah. Well, the the so there's the big fun song that's permeating this entire uh movie that's dope. But also, all right, so there's Martha who like they they what do we what, what do you say about Martha? Like what do, like why are uh, here's my question for the three of us. Don't why try taking, suicide is the name of the Queen song. Don't try why, suicide. Don't try suicide. Well, that's that's too explicit. Uh, no <laughs> yeah, subtext there. Yeah, no subtext. W- Sorry. Why is why it taking us three to four hours to talk about Martha? Well, I part of it feels a little bit to me like, um, had they not decided to change the ending of this film, would Martha have even sort of? Would we have come back to Martha? I think Martha's suicide attempt, for all intents and purposes, my assumption is that that was kind of the end of Martha's storyline, that she was essentially just this emotional punching bag of a character that they chose to use for the characters, for the for the kids to essentially make fun of. Um, I appreciate that they bring her back at the end and that she gets this nice moment with Veronica at the end. It's It's a sweet ending. I just don't know that we totally earn it. I agree with that. And I think that Carrie Lynn, is that the name of the actress? I believe that is her name. Um, does such a great job with that role. Yes. But I don't think that the role is particularly well written. Um, I and I think it's in a script that is so well written that stands out to be more. Yeah. Um, she is very rote. Um, there's not much that's unexpected about her, yeah. to your point. And I think, to your point, uh, Lenny, this is like a, a Kenny. Sorry, Kenny. I am very dyslexic, and like it's I okay. said, I never remember no people's names. <laughs> I so have called myself podcast. Mola. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
That's adorable. Oh, Mola. Oh, Mola. You can call me Mola. Um, no. So just know that it is not personal. And I um, called myself Mola. Wait, wait. But so, you were going to say I said something uh, wonderful and great. So keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So to your point, Kenny, um, the, I think that's the reason we, it took us four hours to talk about her. Is she yeah. is not that fleshed out as a character. Although I do think that that actress brings a lot to that role. And I think that character is really, really necessary. Well, she's, she feels like, uh, she feels like a stand in. You know what I mean? Like I think about even, even just the way she's used at the end of the film is to facilitate a happy ending that is sort of unearned. It is, it does feel a sort of like, she's just this, this chess piece that they're moving she's around. She's an she's an object. Yeah, she's uh, a plot device. She, she, yeah. She's a plot device, uh, like through through which we can decide which characters are half decent and which characters aren't. The way they treat this uh, this nerd. Yeah, and um, I'm not thrilled about that. I also think that the movie. Now I, I'm I I don't have quite a strong opinion about this, but I also think the movie probably shied away from having her su- her suicide result in her death her suicide attempt result in her death almost because it's a little too pat to say that these fake oh, suicides led to a real an actual suicide well why do you why do you think they 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 had this go the way it went because it's embarrassing and like i think that like uh heather i always forget which heather is he- shannon's Heather, Heather Duke, who's embarrassed yeah, that she Dukes couldn't, that has she that line about like just another example of like the losers trying to do what the popular kids do and failing. Um, she doesn't Which get any of line. the glory yeah. or adulation or grief or any of that. It's just this very. It's more humiliation. It's more lack of dignity. It's it it. it, it <laughs> I I don't want That's to. Good point. It, I feel you. It, right. I totally agree with you, Lola. And and it it is sort of underlined by how she tries to kill herself, which is she staples a suicide note to her chest and tries to walk into traffic. Um, you know, that in and of itself feels there's this, there's a, there's an element of quote unquote, it's pathetic the way she even tried to do it. Well, it's, it is, it's brutally sad. Yeah, it is. It is brutally sad. And it does get a little maudlin if she actually does kill herself. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. It, yeah, and I'm not I'm not advocating for that. I just I don't know. I, I I don't feel like the movie treats the character with a lot of dignity, with any dignity, really. I totally uh, agree. And I, I I think the most the most dignified thing she does is walk into traffic. So I don't know. It's 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 that's it, always yeah. kind of been an uncomfortable thing. It's an uncomfortable thing in general. Like this idea, uh, it's uncomfortable and and. This idea of we're casting a, an actress to play a character named Martha Dumbtruck, who is going to be, you know, characterized in this way. Uh, it's important that we write whatever we want to write and, you know, create whatever we want to create and feel no bounds to do that. But it does the if you're gonna create a character named Martha Dumbtruck, uh and cast someone to play that role, it would be nice if that character had a little more agency. And um, that's why I think the, the stabbing at the end is It's such funny because Daniel Waters has, has said that. He actually is like, if I have one regret, it's that I didn't put my foot down and stick with the Martha stabbing her at the end. Because I feel like 
I feel like that's the that feels possibly like the best ending because you don't blow up the school. You don't do, you know, you don't send all the kids to heaven, which I'm assuming the studio was scared of, but you do have a comeuppance in the Veronica character. And you also give agency to this character that you have been emotionally beating up for, for 90 minutes. You don't love You're just it. shaking your head. Lola doesn't, you Lola wants to go to it. heaven. You <laughs> fell for it. You think, Oh yeah, people should die if that's what like it, in a sense you're okay with murder if it's happening to an underdog, which is the JD like JD got you. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> Kenny's Kenny's chewing on this. Um, so I think like if everyone, yeah, I mean everyone I do I like it. that ending. No, that's not that's not fair because you're assuming you're assuming that we think that's. A happy ending. Well, he just said comeuppance. Well, we'll, you know, I mean, well, I just called Phil Will, by the way. I'm in your boat. Yes. But, but Phil, names are, are on the table. But, but Phil, uh, you know, he made a mistake. <laughs> it's not a happy ending. It's actually brutally sad that it, it's that, that she, she doesn't recognize, you know, Phil just watched the best movie of all time uh, that deals with this, Bridge on the River Kwai. Oh, sure. And Bridge on the River Kwai is about look what I built, look yeah. what I've what done, did I do? what did I do, what did I do, what did I do, uh, and that to me is that that is the ending you could have had here, which is look how deep this rot got to the point where Martha Dump Truck turns around, stabs me, I, and I think this is a really interesting thing because I think that now there's something. Let me go step further here. This is well before the idea of allyship was a thing, right? Mm -hmm. But that is where she lands. She lands that I'm going to be a great ally, right? She lands that I'm going to look out for the Martha dump trucks of the world and be a great Mm -hmm. ally. I think that that's interesting in general. The idea that like that, that it, it, it feels so patronizing to me at the end the way she's like, I'm going to, you know, dance around with the girl who tried to kill herself who's in a wheelchair who has this horrifying nickname um, because that makes me great. Like that – is that being an ally or is that for her? So, yeah, it's definitely like white saviory. Definitely sure. white saviory, right? So then to turn around and have Martha stab her, a metaphorical stabbing because it's not a real movie. I mean it's not real life. I, I think would kind of call out this like you're who are you doing what you're doing for? It's not for anybody other than you, Winona, right? Yeah, that's why I think like them all going up in smoke and seeing the ideal, seeing the I, I feel like seeing the ideal is powerful in this sort of sure. world of if you are going to and I feel like that's the best catharsis is seeing because in both versions the takeaway is everything is fucked. Everybody's fucked. Every, yes, like there is, yes, yes, yes. So at least in the version where they all have this prom in heaven, you get to see what it could be if we stopped serving ourselves and and like serving at the feet yeah. of power yep. constantly. And here, here's, here's the problem with all of this. First of all, we all agree the ending as is the produced word. stinks. Mm-hmm. And the endings, the other alternate endings are much better because I agree mm-hmm. they're both much better. 
And you don't have to turn to movies for for all the answers in life, of course. Be a human, blah, blah, blah. But it just brings me back to the great line from Homer Simpson, which is the moral of the story or something the effect is, it just goes to show, never try. (laughs) (laughs) And that's... I always keep coming back to this idea of like, never try. It's not like, never try. Like I, and I know that sounds so like defeatist and poor me. I'm trying and no one cares. But like, uh, uh, like that is that is just kind of what the the, the Veronica story is because she is trying very hard yep. to make her world a better place. And look at what's happened. And in the in the two endings we like, like disaster, right? So, and I think this is true for what's going on in our country, not specifically from the perspective of white people and uh, a white guy is like, I'm coming to the realization and trying to get comfortable with the idea that I am not going to be part of the brain trust that fixes the problem, but I can be part of the brain trust or part of the group that recognizes that the problem, that there is a problem for one and uh, can try to help, you know, with whatever solutions seem to be working. But it's a weird thing as a white guy who's always been positioned as you're going to be the ones running shit to take a step back and say, these aren't our problems to solve. Um, but I, it's a weird thing. I don't know. Lola, hit me. Yeah, I feel like what what the movie is the prom ending is getting at is exactly what you're talking about, and it's it's a critique of capitalism and like coming out of the Reagan era. I think that's absolutely perfect. But individualism versus community, and you see, JD thinks he's a hero. He thinks mm-hmm. he's everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. And that's the problem with individualism and capitalism is that we're human beings. And if we don't, if we're not communal, that gets corrupted very, very, very easily. And it's as like, it is sort of like, don't try, but it's also like, don't try alone. Like no, at no point during the film, do people really ever become communal um, in a real way. And I think that the prom version allows you to see what power looks like as a collective, as opposed to driven by individualism. The the and the other uh, the other issue that kind of is married to this is like the the fundamental issue of it's a capitalist problem, though it has been wielded like in all authoritarian governments is the commingling of power and violence. Right. And that's like where this movie lives. Like JD is able to take power through violence. Right. right? And it's it until we really root out the power of violence, we stand no chance. And I, you know, that's, that's then, and I don't really know how to, how to begin to deal with that, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also how interesting to me how the film has absolutely no nature in it and how uh, like the only time there is nature is a violent act towards Double nature, murder, like the yeah. cow tipping. Um, yeah. 
I was really struck by that and how these, uh, all of these characters in this whole universe is so detached from nature. We did talk about that cow tipping scene, but that's the, I mean, the cow tipping, I've never actually been anywhere where people tipped cows, but the, uh, the, Sex between one of the Heathers, the, the third Heather, who we never Oh, you mean rape? Yeah. Yes. But I want to make a point. So he is on the ground very clearly raping her. A couple of scenes later, she says, I had sex with that guy like, mm-hmm. like a week ago or last night or mm-hmm. something. There is something really, really um, – illustrative in the way that that scene is that scene is depicted in the moment as like obvious rape and how she perceives it as that was that's what sex felt like that's that's a crazy moment to me that's actually Winona Ryder has said that's her favorite moment of the movie that dichotomy that idea of it's yeah of perception versus reality Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah. well I I think that women have been led to believe for years and years and years and years that that is what sex looks like when you're that is a version of sex mm-hmm. when you are young and particularly when you are you know kind of having sex with someone who is uh above your status yeah um i think that's that is that was a really interesting well-observed subtle moment that should have a lot of power and yet i do feel like that might have been lost on a lot of people so. I loved that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you guys spotted that and that many people do. And that scene about going to the college party is basically Heather pressuring Veronica yeah. to get like date raped. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's what the cool and, like, girls that's are what doing. they're out to do that night. And yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's, so, like, the flip side of the sex between Veronica and JD, that scene, is that she does have a lot of agency. Mm-hmm. She decides to do that, mm-hmm. whether, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a bad decision, but she at least is into it. And it feels like a, a depiction of sex that is n- not Mutual. like yeah. the one it yeah. is sex. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the only, it's, con- it's, it's the like only sexual, sexual act. It's the only sexual act in the film. I mean, I would say uh, Heather and JD's sexual interactions, they're kissing their, what have you are the only ones that feel uh, sensual. That feel, yeah, that feel mm-hmm. positive. Everyone else is negative. Mm-hmm. Um, what that says, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I mean, I think there's, you know, obviously we've 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 clearly stated that Veronica and JD's relationship is toxic in its own way. Uh, but uh, it's it's still interesting that um, that it feels like they're on an even sexual playing field. Mm-hmm. For what that's worth. So uh, let's rate this, shall we? Uh, I did. I mean, I, I don't think I saw this film in '89, but it certainly was around then. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not sure that I totally got it, and I think I probably would have said it was like a 70 back then. I liked it, but I don't think that I loved it until I got older and was able to really enjoy it. Before this podcast, I probably would have given it about a 90. Like, I really do think it's a fucking fantastic film. Um, some of the stuff we talked about has notched it down a little bit. I'm at an 85 now just because I feel like I, I I think that some of the stuff you guys have unpacked for me has made me sort of recontextualize some of these relationships, specifically the JD stuff feels like, um, and, and honestly, the ending. I think we all agree that the ending 
the other endings were better. So I'm at an 85. I still think it's a phenomenal film and I, I love it a lot. But uh, Kenny, what about you? Uh, I gave it an 80. Right, so before this podcast, mm-hmm. um, again, 15 years ago. So like, you know, or so the mid aughts. Uh, the mid aughts. I yeah. get the mid aughts. Um, I don't think I was, you know, emotionally kind of mature enough to handle what this movie was about. I think I thought it was just kind of a revenge fantasy. Mm. And I thought it was a cool one at that. Sure. So, um, you know, I will indict myself and say, uh, I thought this was a cool movie and I would have given it like an 80, but for, you know, a lot of the wrong reasons. Uh, upon rewatch, I, you know, I texted Phil like during the movie, like this is an interesting movie. I, I hope Lola is ready to bring it, which you were. Lola but, is always uh, ready to bring it. Yeah, I knew you would. I knew you would. I had no doubt. <laughs> but uh, I think that the, I obviously think that there's a lot more going on than a, a revenge fantasy or you know the 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 revenge of the nerds or whatever it is that uh, I thought was happening. Uh, and yet, I think that there are some issues and it sounds like the issues were not the faults of the filmmakers but they're there you know it is what it is uh, I, I gave it an 85 too before this and i'm gonna stick at an 85 i think it is a tremendous movie with a few small flaws yeah so as a teenager the first time i saw it i didn't see it, see it in 89 but i'll just rate it off of the first time i saw sure. it um it was in a hundred for me it was one of yeah. my favorite movies of sure. all time i just really felt like I saw myself in it and I had that teen enthusiasm of like, you either hate things or love it yep. <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> to, to the nth degree yep. and are going, yep. it's the hill you're going to die on. <laughs> so, um, you know, I do, it has, it still feels like it holds up a lot, but I just can see how it could have been even better. Um, and I feel, I understand a lot more about that now. So I, I'm also an 85. 85. Way to all go, team. right. <laughs> yeah, way to go. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> all right. So we all win a prize. Yep. yep, yep. Uh, and the prize is we get to leave the podcast. Yeah, no. um, Lola, thank you for coming back to talk about Heather's with us. Thank you for um, having me. I hope that you'll come back again in the future for either another 89 or another 99 or something mm-hmm. along those lines because uh, we love you and we love how you bring it. I- I feel like <laughs> I feel like our eighty nine movies in some way are are this is gonna sound a little self aggrandizing, but are gifts to our favorite guests who we've only had on for shitty movies. <laughs> Well, no, Lola, but I'm a cheerleader is a fucking great movie. Yes, you did do, but I'm a cheerleader, but I keep thinking. Angela's Ashes. Angela's Ashes. But we uh, we keep having like these people on who are like, it's nice to come on to talk about a great movie, you know? (laughs) So it is, it is. And and, but I'm a cheerleader is a great movie. And it's funny we didn't. We didn't talk about the two, and um, yeah, they kind of do speak to each other. A little yeah, bit. I had a yeah. whole like thing about that <laughs> whole they dissertation that you well, did. First, of, first of all, you know they're they're both steeped in like kind of kind of high camp, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're both very you know kind of irreverent. I mm-hmm. uh, but I'm a cheerleader has a soft core. But I'm a cheerleader has like a 
legitimately beautiful ending that makes me cry. It has <laughs> a perfect it, ending. It has a giant yeah. heart, like a giant beating heart, which is very appropriate for that movie. But it's also yeah. Midwestern in a lot of That's ways. True. It has it, it exists in the same universe. Mm-hmm. Um and but there are obviously a lot of differences. And I think that the difference between the leads is noticeable mm-hmm. and uh, how much pleasure and sex is on the table and discussed mm-hmm. is noticeable between the two. And I think one is a romance and one is sort of like a horror comedy for that, for those reasons. I think They're, it's interesting though. Um, we talked earlier about the influences of Heather's. And when you look at the teen comedies that came out in 99 and there was a plethora of them and we've talked about a lot of them, but like you look at Jawbreaker, you look at, but I'm a cheerleader. There's a direct line to Heather's. Like you can, you can directly see how, you know, people ingested Heather's and through the filter of their creativity, something, you know, came out on the other side of it. More than almost any of them, I would say uh, is drop dead gorgeous. Sure. Yes. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, and sure. and and what all these? Well, yeah, definitely yeah. election. Uh, what a lot of them have in common is um, performative femininity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and ad- adhering to the feminine beauty standards or the feminine standards, not even beauty related, the feminine standards. Yeah. Um, th- that have been imposed by society and in drop dead gorgeous it's you know oh, yeah. like kind of kind of like corporatism but also like you know like this kind of you know maternal cabal thing going on yeah, yeah. and that, I, pageant. Yeah. yeah and that's kind of what's going on but i'm a cheerleader that's mm-hmm. it's it, it it's an interesting kind of movie and like i don't know i think that these are also kind of these are also uh, a world of films we don't really get anymore you know, it's just, it's kind of a shame. It's, you know, we, we talked, Lola and I were texting a little bit about the idea of whether this film could exist today. Um, and I don't want to open up a whole Pandora's box here, but I feel like I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the movie that I said was sort of a corollary to some degree or another. I think the promising young woman is the type mm-hmm. of movie that couldn't exist without a Heather's. Um, to some degree or another. I think that, I think that I think it's a different thing unto itself. And it obviously is unpacking a whole other set of complicated feminist ideas. Um, But I do think that they are in a somewhat similar sandbox, you know, promising. But I don't know if I agree that one couldn't exist without the other, but I do think that promising young women is a, evidence that heathers could be made today yes yeah and, and you, yes i think that that's that was your point when we were texting and you, I, you I, know I, what even more so than that it could be made today which i thought too but i guess it could be made and it could be highly regarded which sure. is the thing that i would be worried about right that like sure, you know sure. we talk about this a lot that these movies maybe there are movies like 400 movies came out last year so there are probably all kinds of movies I just don't know about 340 of them, you know? Right. right, So the fact it it could be made and it could break through uh, is is kind of nice to. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But um, more than anything, Lola, it's been a pleasure as always. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Um, And we look forward to talking with you again about truly whatever your heart desires. (laughs) We'll figure it out. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 90.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.